Welcome back to 1A, a podcast from First Presbyterian Church of Columbia, South Carolina. 1A is a podcast designed to take a brief but in-depth look at counseling issues from a pastoral perspective. Reverend Squires is the pastor of counseling here at First Presbyterian Church, and I'm Josh Adair, the intern for Biblical Counseling. In today's episode, we continue our series on discussing suicide. In part three, we begin to discuss a biopsychosocial framework for how we understand the phenomenon of suicide in human experience. If you have any comments about our show or a question or about something you hear on this episode, please don't hesitate to contact us. You can find all of our contact info on our website at firstpresscolumbia.org. If you'd like to stay aware of new episodes, you can download our app by searching for First Presbyterian Church of Columbia SC in the app store of your choice. We hope this ministry is a blessing to you and to those around you. Let's get to the conversation. I think that brings us to another question as well, Josh. If really the question is how do we you know, we're trying to respond to our loved one or our own experience of suffering. Mm -hmm. How do we begin to understand the experience of someone who is suffering from suicidal ideation? And even before we were recording, you talked about how we wanted to be careful not to paint a framework of understanding their experience so much that we feel probably overly competent for how we would would address this. Mm -hmm. But one thing that we've done in past episodes is to try to paint a picture of a biopsychosocial, uh, emotional, spiritual. and spiritual framework. I think that's really helpful. Uh, how would you begin to sort of paint that picture for us as we walk through someone who's struggling with suicidal ideation? So what would you say to how that begins to manifest itself in those categories? Yeah, so... I think each of those categories is helpful as we try to build a framework for how does someone get into suicidal ideation and therefore maybe how do we help them get out of suicidal ideation. This is a place where it's more what's caught than taught. So I I don't want people to think that as we go through this, they have to memorize all these categories and they've got to be proficient in all of this. It's more if you are beginning to see this pattern in a friend or yourself, it's about getting help for, from people who know and have seen this and therefore can walk alongside somebody in it. So yeah. that being said, that caveat, let's, let's walk biopsychosocial spiritual. Okay. Um, so biologically it can biology get someone into suicidal ideation. Absolutely. It can. Um, yeah. And this can come about in a number of ways. You know, it can be a depression that starts with a biological depression. That can be something like postpartum, or it can be even hormone changes. It can be that it's a lack of exercise, a lack of access to regular sunlight. There's all kinds of, like, biological um, etiology, becauseology, the, the fountainhead of depression. And then depression oftentimes is what gets someone into that dark hole where they will begin to feel hopeless. So Mm. in that, we want to do a couple of things. We want to, A, be compassionate that this isn't all just in someone's head. They can't just snap their fingers and all of a sudden they're out of it. Mm. This might be... And, and and I don't know that they've really found a depression gene in anybody. Sure. But I will tell you this, that families where there are people who are clinically depressed tend to have clinical depression that run through their families. So hmm. y- you want to be careful not to just assume I could just kind of shake this person out of this state. 
Mm. or that they can shake themselves out of this particular state. No, there might be something where they need to talk to a physician, a nutritionist, a psychiatrist. Sure. And begin to focus on areas beyond just the psychological and the spiritual, which we'll get to in a second, but also the biological. If there's medicine that they need to be on, if there's diet that they need to change, exercise they need to add, sleeping patterns they need to change, all of that can lead to the depressive or anxious soup that is really the the cause oftentimes of suicidal ideation. Mm. That's actually really helpful that you call it the soup because it's like there's for someone who's got a loved one struggle with it, like you said, it's easy to think that this silver bullet, if I, if I isolate the silver bullet, this is going to be the singular sort of episode of it. But when you think of it as like a, a, honestly, a conglomeration of factors, it actually begins to change the way that you might begin to approach it. That's right. It also relieves some of the burden. I've got to solve it, right? Like, yeah. Cause you really can't solve it on your own. You do need people around and, and various types of people, professional people and family people and all kinds of people in order to get through this. Yeah, absolutely. So as, as you continue to think through that lens, what are the other, I guess you could say, ingredients that might be in the soup? Um, so I would say let, from bio, we would go to psycho, the psychological elements okay. of what might lead to suicidal ideation. Okay. And so that would be things like the sudden loss of something important. Uh, this can be a mm. relationship. It can be a job. It could be a person in the sense of like if you're all of a sudden a widow or you lose a child, um, especially parents grieving the loss of a child. Any of those sort of things can lead to a severe enough depressive episode that one thinks about taking one's own life. And then on the opposite end, there can be anxiety. There can be someone under a significant amount of debt and they don't think that they can get out of it. Pressure to succeed where they think that there's no way they'll succeed. They're definitely going to fail and they're going to disappoint family members and others. And they don't want to go through that, especially in any sort of shame prone cultures or family systems. That tends to be a bigger thing. We talked, I think, last week about Absolutely. the rash of suicides in Japan. That's because they're a shame based culture. Um, so it can be anxiety related mm. as it has to do with psychological factors. I don't want to be the one either disappointing somebody, hurting somebody, uh, or I find myself in a depression because I've lost something. What I hear you saying is that there can be legitimate psychological either episodes or I wouldn't say pathologies maybe, but how would you rephrase that? Like there, there could just be legitimate, legitimate experiences that you've been through or something that you're psychologically going through, it, it can be related to a singular point in time or something that's characteristic over time. It can be related to internal or external things from a psychological side. That's right. And it can be something that comes out of a complex. And, and what I mean by okay. that is like major depression, bipolar disorder. Okay. A, you know, a major anxiety or something like mm. that where – you really do, for whatever reason, the way the fall has affected your particular mind is that you tend to worry easily or see the downside of things and, you know, begin to get trapped in that. That doesn't alleviate personal responsibility. It just says Absolutely. there are people who find themselves kind of in those complexes. And mm. 
And if you are, then again, you need biopsychosocial spiritual remedies there. You need to be talking to mm. people. You need to be praying and involved in worship. And maybe there's some things biologically, again, medicine, exercise, diet, sleep, whatever it is, um, and, and have burden bearers come alongside you, right? And so mm. I don't want to downplay or deny that there is some sort of psychological or can be a psychological complex going on that mm. can cause suicidal ideation. What I do want to challenge is in our current day and age, that's the only answer the secular side has to give is that anybody who commits suicide must therefore be either clinically depressed, clinically anxious, bipolar, or whatever. And I want to say, I think there's more than that. And there's something even more foundational to that. And that is the spiritual Mm. side. Absolutely. And that, I think that even helps fight against the myths of, uh, that might be so prone someone who, who sees it from the outside, so a loved one who sees a suffer from the outside, who all of a sudden takes their own life that th- they just had so much going for them. It doesn't seem to make sense. And then maybe to trace it to some sort of psychological perspective or something like that. This just shows us that there's so much complexity that goes into it. And yet there can still be, it doesn't have to be from a psychological side so that, so that we can, we can still, I guess, begin to grieve that well, like what you were saying. So, uh, but okay. So biological, psychological from social side. Yeah. Socially, if one finds themselves in a particularly isolated place, then one can begin to be suicidal. Again, if there are certain social pressures to perform and succeed one and one thinks that they're not going to be able to succeed, there might be pressure to commit suicide. If there have been a rash of suicides in Mm. the area, and one struggles with suicidal ideation in the first place, it can bring that up for them pretty mm. significantly. So there can be social pressures that ultimately lead to, so, uh, to suicidal ideation as well. That's helpful. And then from a spiritual side, where would you add to our, our framework of the spiritual element of what's going on in someone's life? So I would say that spiritually, oftentimes for people who have begun to genuinely toy with suicidal ideation— It is sin working in their own heart, making them doubt the goodness of God, doubt his promises that he will be with them and never forsake them, doubt Mm. that he is working all things together for the good of those he loves and calls according to his purposes. And sin works like that in all of our hearts, right? So this is Mm. not a particular to them sort of deal, but it is all of us. And Um, depressed and suicidal people tend to isolate and seclude, and instead they need to push into those spiritual settings where they can hear the Word preached and taught, where they can pray and be prayed for, where they can have the sacraments administered to them, where they can get a community of believers around them, and where they can serve shoulder-to-shoulder other believers and or their community for gospel ends. And in doing those things, even when we're feeling so sad and so isolated, we begin to lift up our eyes from our own belly buttons and see instead Mm. God and the cross. And that often provides at least enough glimmer of hope to help pull us through. Absolutely. So if I understand what you're saying, Josh, especially in terms of the spiritual side, because then and we can talk about how we view this for a loved one that has taken their own life and how we're, how we're beginning to grieve that, like maybe some of the anger that we might ex- experience towards them in the process for not, not engaging in each of these different areas. And we'll probably handle that later, but, but that's actually really helpful because 
it, it helps you understand that like what we've been talking about already, this, this isn't something that someone who's going through this can handle on their own. Right. They actually like, whereas the strength of that part of our character that you talked about uh, in episode one recognizes life in a fallen world, our biblical categories also teach us that we have to mistrust that we have to mistrust ourselves in some ways and to right. ground ourselves in the external reality of gospel truth and spiritual truth so that we can truly nurse ourselves back to health through the means that God has given us to partake of. That's right. We need others and we can't do that on our own. I, I love that you said it's, it's, it's something that turns us from looking inwardly at our belly button back out to the reality of looking to Christ and looking to him uh, spiritually. And so, yeah, Luther used to call that curvatus in se, curved in upon ourselves. Yeah, and that's the tension that we we do walk both uh, as someone who's suffering and someone who's who's looking at a loved one suffering with it is right. this is a legitimate pain they're going through, but at the same time, it's something that we have to recognize our our, our lenses are broken. That's right. And so, I, I guess Josh, even as I see all of this, this is this is this can feel really overwhelming just to see the complexity of all of it. So mm-hmm. where do we go from here? Like no, knowing this is part of no, as Bill and I used to say, now, you know, but knowing is only half the battle, right? right. right. <laughs> right. Where, where do we begin to go from here? Yeah. I mean, I think that a couple of things. One is, is that you want to be more aware of, this tendency in others and ourselves so that we're listening for when others' hearts are beginning to deceive them and when our hearts begin to deceive us so that we mm. can not wait until it's an 8, 9, or 10 on that 10-point scale, but when it's a 5, a 6, or a 7, be applying the gospel, and therefore the gospel application is more effective. Mm. So I think we want to attune our grid a, a little bit more sensitively. We want to be able to respond compassionately to understand that genuine believers, and I, I think we may have said this last time, but Moses, mm-hmm. Elijah, Job, they all struggle with suicidal ideation at some point in Scripture so that we can compassionately respond to those and even ourselves if we struggle with suicidal ideation. And yet compassion is never just empathy, it's empathy and action combined. And so that we would act, and the way that we act is that we try to get the appropriate resources around others and or ourselves Mm. if we find ourselves down in this place, that we're able to speak the gospel into this particular struggle if somebody has it, that we're not afraid to speak into that struggle. And then we bring along all the resources, if they're medical resources, counseling resources, whatever they are, in order that we might shepherd someone well and help them to kind of refocus, not just on their own suffering and themselves, but also on the world, the Lord, and and His promises. Amen. That's super helpful, Josh. All of this helps from a, pre- a prevention perspective. And I think it, it in terms of intervening, it begins to inform how we would intervene in our own lives or our loved one's lives. And I think we'll have to probably pause there as we look to our next episode right. to talk about how we begin to intervene in a loved one's life if we see this. And it's not going to be much different, but we're going to use what we know to begin to step into them. But I, I thought it'd be appropriate just to end on going back to our framework of where do we anchor ourselves in the midst of this prevention? It's easy to anchor ourselves, I think, in sort of the self-sufficiency that can come from knowing all of this information. Mm-hmm. But 
how do we begin to anchor ourselves in the gospel? What about the gospel anchors us, even as we know all of this, that that would minister the hope of Christ and the hope of redemptive purposed suffering, even in the midst of this experience that we're having? Yeah, I mean, I think that there are a number of places. The first one that comes to mind is God's provincial care or providential care. He cares for his people, and he is bringing about all things. So whatever it is that I'm struggling with, whatever it is that has brought hopelessness into my life, God is the one who has allowed that to happen, right? If if it's evil, he's not responsible for it, but he's allowing it to happen in my life, and God uses evil for good. He also promises me that he will always be with me. So one of the things about suicide is the hopelessness and the loneliness, feeling absolutely alone. And for believers, you're never alone. Though you Mm. can't wrap your arms around the Holy Spirit, and while you can't hear his audible voice, he is with you, and with you in a very real way. It's not just a figment of your imagination. It's not just my divine pretend friend. He is really there, and his voice is in Scripture. That's where he speaks to you. And so you get into Scripture, and you find where believers have had very dark days. There's no darker day than the Psalms, uh, Psalm 88. And you read things like Psalm 88 and Job 3 and others, and remind yourself that you stand in a lineage of people that have really suffered in this fallen world. And then, after compassionately being able to look at why am I suffering, building again for yourself that idea of what is the suffering meant to produce. It's not just to be endured, it's meant to produce hope. And so for me to continue to struggle to find the hope and to hold on to the hope in faith so that at some point down the road, I will have a stronger, more tested faith and character that produces a hope that doesn't feel frail. It doesn't feel like something I'm just looking for. It feels unassailable because it's grounded on the gospel. Yeah, I'm also reminded, Josh, as you say these beautiful things, like of the reality of that, just the mystery that's in the middle of this, uh, this, this suffering for a lot of people. But when you look at providence, when you look at the fact that God is with you in the midst of suffering, and when you look at the, the, the trajectory of, of a believer's life from suffering to glory, it actually reminds you that you can face this. It's, mm-hmm. and it, and it shows you almost the very, you know, I think of first Corinthians when I think about this, the, the wisdom and folly of the cross. I, I know that that's not necessarily written to people who are struggling with suicide, but it reminds us that in the midst of our world where all of our reality seems to testify to this gospel promise is not true. Right. The fact is that there's a wisdom in the cross that God could use even this in our lives. Right. Let me see if I can wrap this up. As we get back together next week, what we're going to do is we're going to try and look at how do we apply this to the lives of those in and around us who might have struggled with suicide, and what do we do in the wake of suicide, and really try to bring those two elements together so that we have a methodology of sorts for how to move forward in the midst of a very dark topic that brings light and hope. Well, I hope that this has been helpful for you. Would love to hear from you. You can get to me at jsquires at firstpreskolumbia.org or to Josh Adair, jadair at firstpreskolumbia.org if you have any comments, questions, or concerns. Until next time, God bless. <laughs>